Oh, did I tell you about the time I gave my cats communion? Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> this is like giving your Lisa baptism? Something like that, yeah. But, like, you know, as a kid who's raised in a church-going faith, you hear a lot of the same stuff over and over again. So I know the words of, what are they, what are they the words of? In- the Father, the Son, the Holy no. Spirit. Oh. I, of course, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the words are called, but I can't think of it right now. But, like, they're the words you say to oh, make. the body of Christ stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, body of Christ shed for you. And oh, it's the words of, <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out in the middle of the podcast. And I'll just scream it out. But I was doing it to the cats. I was like, body of Christ shed for you. And oh, well, giving them Before treats. I did the whole, like, intro thing. And then I would hold it up to them, the treat over their head. And they would reach up. And they would grab it. And they would eat it. <laughs> and then I would go to the next cat. And I would say, body of Christ shed for you. And then this was when Roxy was still here, so I'd do it to Roxy too. And they were all so gentle, and they took the <laughs> treats so nice, and like, like, like the little cat taking the little treat in his hand is just like communion. <laughs> so cute. I have a picture of. I know I took a video of it. It was great. Too bad I'm not a TikToker. I would have made a TikTok out of that. You still can. <sighs> I don't want to. Okay. Everybody, welcome to Rough Around the Hedges podcast. I'm Kaylin. I'm Christine. And I'm Mackie. And today we are going to be talking about growing houseplants in the winter in Minnesota. Specifically Minnesota. Yeah, because that's where we live. Well, yeah. And it's its own challenge, really. It really is. (laughs) Because you could could be living in California or Dallas or New York or, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin. You could have similar challenges, but you might find that you have some different stuff, too, that we don't necessarily deal with on our own. So if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, give it six months. Yeah. (laughs) So we're in January now. We've had a weird winter. It's been very warm, very warm. So this year hasn't necessarily been a challenge yet. Yet. But you know, January, February, March are always the worst. Yeah. That so. polar polar vortex is on its way. That's always fun. Yeah. So, you know, for starters, I don't have any houseplants outside anymore. <laughs> True. I've, I've brought them all in. They live in the house now. If you have plants outside, hopefully they're just succulents that can actually handle it. <laughs> Are there any succulents that can go down to... Yes, we actually have, I think, four native cacti or four cacti that can live up here and a couple natives. Yeah. Chances are, though, if they're house plants, they're probably getting a little too cold with their pots. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. Planted in ground. All yeah. these are like marginal four, zone four succulents, so they probably wouldn't do well outside their pot or in a pot outside. Yeah. Gotcha. Put and as ground. of two months ago, we're now officially zone 5B. I thought we just moved one. Or is that one? Were we 4A or 4B? I thought we were 4B. We're 4B because we were warmer. So were we moved to 4A? No. We, we went to 5B. I think we went to 5B. Yeah, we're... I saw both, so I'm We're confused. zone 5 now. I yeah. know that. You can grow figs. You can grow, quote unquote, figs. <laughs> Whether or not you can get actual figs is a very different thing. Yeah, I was doing reading on that and you have to like cover them up in mm-hmm. the winter still. You have to cover me up in the winter still. I'm worth it. all right so obviously everything's inside um we went over how to acclimate back inside back in the fall so now it's winter time so everything's been (laughs) sitting i mean the biggest thing you see number one in winter time is stuff slows down for the most part you say that and i'm just looking at you like i know my stuff just just doesn't know it's winter not all of it some of it you know slower but like i've just noticed some crazy growth on some stuff and i'm like guys stop right yeah i've I've been turning the lights down so that they're not getting quite as much like the volume of light they're getting is just less and it's like doesn't matter they don't care yeah 
that's what I've done. I've brought my light down from a DLI of 10 to down to almost four. And I'm still thinking I'm going to pull it down a little more because I'm trying to get stuff to go dormant and it's just not wanting to go. And yeah. you're talking about succulents, horthia. Yeah, mostly succulents. Mostly my like, aside from my winter growers, all my summer growing stuff, I'm trying to get to go into dormancy so I don't have to water it as often. Mm-hmm. Preach. Yeah. I, I've noticed that. Okay, so, you know, in the winter, if you're getting less sun... Your plants aren't photosynthesizing as much. They're not growing as fast. They're not using as much water. In theory, you water less. Um, oh, I wish that I could say it. That was my problem right now. It's not. Because everybody, when they were outside for the summer, they filled up their pot with roots. And now the roots are just sucking up all the water. And I think um, I'm seeing some soil disintegration too of like the, the peat and stuff in my soil is getting used up. Is there a better word for that? I don't know. Mostly I just notice it starts to get like compacted and just breaks down. Yeah. And yeah. it just doesn't hold water like it used to. And so part of me is like, ah, should I repot? And the other part of me is like, you know, last week it was December. So I was like, it's December. I'm not going to repot. It's the shortest day of the year. But now I'm like, hmm, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got stuff I'm repotting, but for different reasons. When you have like seedlings too, you got to split up. So like, and oh, under lights. most of those will be good in their pots with, their siblings for probably a year so i don't have to worry about that till next winter yeah for the most part i'm only repotting either props that i didn't get to before the winter or i just did my ring of fire because that thing was desperate for a repot mm -hmm. and it started to look gross so i was like yeah i should probably put you in new soil like a month ago i had some plants in the grow tent that i repotted my dark lord pastas on them somebody else because they're under light, so it doesn't matter. Right. They don't know it's winter. Yeah, yeah, that's the stuff that's under light. The stuff that's in my windows that I don't give any added light, um, going back, they definitely have slowed down. They're not. Mm -hmm. You know, I say that, and then I'm thinking of my El Salvador that just put off a giant leaf. Putting out a leaf, like, basically every week at this point. Well, and I am thinking about my elbow because now he's taller than all the other plants in the same window he's at. So, like, when he puts out a new leaf, I'm like, oh, I can, I can see it without having to, like, walk over there and inspect the plant. So, mm -hmm. like been peeping out his new leaves and like he'll finish growing a leaf and then he'll put out his tiny little leaf spike and then before you know it it's like almost unfurling and i'm like dude when did that happen yeah and the leaves are getting bigger because he's growing up a pole a stake not a pole i don't do moss poles i'm just like what <laughs> you're growing so fast yeah i think of all my succulents and plants that aren't under lights which are basically here and in my kitchen over there and Mackie is pointing to the patio door and the kitchen window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're recording here at, our, at my place tonight. And I think I watered my stuff for the first time in the last couple of days since bringing Jesus. them in. Uh, so they have definitely slowed down. And a lot of them, like I said, are succulents and they've gone dormant that aren't getting additional light. Well, yeah. And obvious mealy infestation on that other little pack of podium that I'm working on. Yeah. Yeah, that's been the bane of my existence in the winter is mealies and root mealies. So like I'm doing a lot of like unpotting to find those and treating those because they, they can kill an entire collection quickly if you don't get it under control. Yeah, I guess. It, yeah, that's an easy segue into the next part of it is during the wintertime as stuff is naturally drier, the pests that like drier conditions come out, i.e. mealybugs, spider mites. I had aphids. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it probably just was something that didn't get host off when I brought stuff in and then it probably just or you know it's oh I haven't had the windows open though so like did it come in from outside did it come in on some like fresh vegetables or something did it come in on my dolly or not my dahlias but my my zinnias that I grew I don't know but I found them all over my uh, green velvet alocasia I was gonna say do you ever get cut flowers because those well, frequently see, come with bugs that's yeah you told me that 
in text um, when I was dealing with it, but I didn't get cut flowers. So I cut my own flowers. Um, the other thing is, is if you get any, like your produce from places where that do have cut flowers, pests can spread from the cut uh, flowers to, to the, the produce. produce. And so bring them home to your plants. Yeah. That's why I never try to really track where my stuff's coming from. Yeah. Well, it's just, like it's here. Yeah. The, the fry deck I had cut all the, or the green velvet alocasia. <laughs> Christine gives me shit every time I say fry deck because it's not the variegated one. doing this correctly. Uh, it's okay. Just drill it into me. I'll get it eventually. The green velvet. I had cut off all of its foliage because it had spider mites and it was a beautiful, dense plant. I just didn't want to deal with it. So I cut off all the foliage because I'm a monster. <laughs> um, and so like I was like, okay, good on spider mites. But then where the heck did these aphids come from? Right. Whatever. I have since got lacewing larvae, lacewing eggs, and I am dealing with it. So. Lacewings are great for that. That and they're also good for thrips, I found out. Because yeah. I don't think I have thrips anymore because I haven't seen them in months. I've been doing the lacewing larva releases. Nice. I'm debating between lacewing and California. Nope, cucumeris for my next round of bugs. Do you have an active problem? Yes. Do both because okay. the mites take care of the soil. Oh, sure. Sure. So it one's in the soil. The- yeah, it's not like an infestation, I would say, but. If you've got like adults, you've got. Thrips, yeah. 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 And uh, reminder. I've been getting kicked down. For anyone local, it's the DMV Beneficials uh, Facebook group where you can order live bugs for delivery once, was it two two or three times a month? I think it's they do twice, twice a month. Twice yeah. yeah. So definitely I usually know. That. Yeah, every month I look at it, there's a cutoff date and a delivery date usually mm-hmm. once a month. And then mm-hmm. sometimes there's two delivery days a month. Right. I think it's, or is it every three weeks? I think it's every three weeks because yeah. through the winter they upped it because more people were interested in it. And now you'll notice that you will find pests on your plant the day after the order was due. Yep, that's usually me. <laughs> I usually am like, or I, my Facebook feed will show me it's a bug day, like delivery day. And I'm like, crap, I missed another one. I mean, orders are due by what, 3 or 4 p.m.? So you could still get it in if you see it in the morning. No, I'm saying I usually see like the delivery day post. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Gotcha. But now I've, um, they actually shared like graphics of the calendar of like order due delivered this day and mm-hmm. i'm like ah good i'm gonna like put it on my own calendar so i remember yeah i have it in my google calendar so i can just have an alarm we could put that on the, the we could put calendar. that on the plan event <laughs> calendar we should look at having a benny bug episode and see if cat or sarah or somebody wants to come on mm, that'd be fun that could be fun man the knowledge that the the volunteers who run that group have for these beneficial bugs is just nuts yeah but it's cool I've only managed to stump the IPM people one time. <laughs> and that was, what do you do for wor- for root mealies? And nobody has an answer for me. They have some hypotheticals, but nothing solid for root mealies. So like I'm kind of upset because I just spent money on mealybug destroyers to oh, get rid of they, my mealybugs on yeah. the top side. And now I have to treat everything with a systemic to just hard reset on the mm. root mealies because there's no other way to get rid of them really. No. There's like a fungus you can use and another mite and it's, got a small success rate and I'm, and it's like hundreds of dollars to do that. And I'm like, that's just too much for me. It's that's my barrier is cost. At what point do you just consider cuttings and start over? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of my stuff I can't do cuttings from because they they either pup or they don't do cuttings. Right. So now, okay. With root mealies, have you been pulling them out, taking off the mealies or is that impossible? Uh, there are ways where you can do dunks, but you're unpotting them every time you have to dunk them. And you yeah. have, from what I've seen, you have to do two or three dunks at a time. Uh, so what I'm doing is I'm just applying systemic to the top, mixing it in and watering it in thoroughly. Not that you would want to do this to your whole collection, but what if you just chopped off all the roots and rerooted it? 
That's kind of what I did. I lucked out because on my vitilinoids, it was on, sorry, it was on my fungi. That was in LECA. So I was able to just basically strip the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It went down to like a third of its original roots. And I seemed to luck out there. Yeah, I considered that. And that was, if it was just a small infestation at a couple plants, that's what I would do. Yeah, but it's like But mine is an entire rack, probably like close to 150, 200 plants. And to do that, I would have to up-pot everything, cut the roots, and then I have to do new soil, wash the pots. It's just... It's, time it's is time yeah. is worth something to me, and that's how I figure stuff out. So systemic was yeah, that's the why cheapest. I cut all the foliage off mine. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's one of the few times that I would probably recommend systemic is in a situation like that. Yeah, there are only two times I ever recommend pesticides, and that's with aloe mites and root mealies. Now, yeah. mm, stupid bugs. <laughs> so yes, in the winter you may see an uptake in bugs because yep. it's drier. They tend to like that. You're not. I don't know what's if you're not watering as much, they're not getting flushed out as much. That and if you're bringing in new plants in the winter, the stress from shipping usually oh, has sure. a spike of pests at yeah. the store. So depending on where you're bringing them in from, well, any any stress on your plant, yeah, can cause them, them more to successful. attract pests. Yeah. So like you know, if you're like let's say your allocation, your manure are getting less sunlight because it's winter and they're you know getting a little stress. Allocation, notorious spider mite magnets. So you know what. Hasn't gotten spider mites this winter for me, and I have Green been shield. surprised. No, Calatheas. Oh. They're just chugging away. I really, I really think that when our plants are happy, they don't attract pests, and we right. don't get pests. So, like, my alocasia, I don't see pests on them that often, except when, when they're unhappy, and then I'm diligent, diligently checking <laughs> and just waiting for the spider mites to start ringing my doorbell. Um, but, yeah, my Calathea, my rattlesnake, and my stromantha, no, no issues. Right. But I think a lot of that has to do with I finally figured out their lighting what they like and then they don't want to dry out mm-hmm. i recently gave somebody a stromantha in free plant friday or whatever it's called plant, plant friday. fairy plant yeah. fa- free plant friday plant fairy friday um this lady asked for stromantha and i was like perfect i have one that i have regrown it is time to leave my house and like <laughs> what it was is when i took my giant stromantha split it up into like seven different pots it was the one where all the leaves died oh but the roots were still good the plants were still there the roots just or the, the leaves just all died and they were crispy so i cut them all off and i was like i'll just regrow this finally in january it regrew so we had like a couple little babies and a couple baby leaves and they were so cute they were so cute (laughs) they were like maybe two inches long at most and like half an inch wide and they were a little pink with little Cute. (laughs) anyway i was like okay out of my house and so this lady was looking for one so i was like i will give you this and then she comes and picks it up and she's like, I'm so intimidated by the care of this plant. I was like, oh boy. I was like, that's an, easy, that's an easy one. Put it in your window. Do not let it dry out. Yeah. That's what I told her. And she's like, you say it's easy. Do you really mean that? I was like, oh yes. Yeah. I don't have to like baby this plant at all. And I showed her a picture of how big it got and it, like it dwarfs me. It's great. I was going to say, um, I had a stromanthia for about a year, which I think is the longest one of the Calathea maranta type has lasted for me. And yeah. it was super easy until it got spider mite and I could have easily taken care of it, but I just want to. chose to throw it away because it wasn't mm-hmm. really, it wasn't a plant I wanted to keep. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners, if, if you really like the beauty of Calatheas, but are intimidated by their care regimen, cannot recommend Stramantha Cryostar enough. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. And the pink backs are so sexy. And they're so pretty. Variegation. Makes a nice pop of color in mm-hmm. your wall of green. That's one of my top 10 plants, guys. <laughs> 
I have the one you gave me still. Yay. It's been growing and being Christine happy. and I tried. Okay, my, my by Christine and I, I mean, <laughs> I gave her a cutting and Christine tried to root it in Lekka it to see experiment. if we could grow one in Lekka. And it was like, oh, nope. I ain't having this. Didn't like it. We tried. Then we never tried again. <laughs> Some of those finer root things just don't like Lekka. I think that's why a lot of people have been trying pond with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. That and Fluval. I see why they're mm-hmm. so popular. Mm-hmm. I have a succulent in Lekka. I have a succulent in Lekka too, Haworthia. I have Maranta. It loves it. I bet. I mean, my Haworthia doesn't hate it completely. <laughs> it's learned to live. <laughs> it's been in Lekka for three years now, and it just oh. sits on my windowsill, and like two or three times a year, I give it water. Nice. Uh, so do we up or decrease our watering in the winter? Well, it depends. If you are average plant parent, you're probably decreasing your water. If you're a crazy person like Kaylin... You are probably upping your water because your soil's not holding as much moisture. Your plants are growing and they all live in south windows, so they're happy. Yeah, see, I, I argue that you almost want to consider watering more because when your heaters turn on, it dries out the pots a little dries bit. Dries out your pots. The important thing to know is that you need to be checking your soil with your finger before you water. Like, l- let that dictate when you water. Don't be like, oh, it's been a week. Oh, it's been two weeks. Nope, don't just. I can think of a time pot. where the finger doesn't work. When the soil is disintegrated and it doesn't hold moisture anyway, it's hard to tell. Another time. When you're like Christine and you can't feel anything with your fingers because you burned them off. Oh, you don't have any nerves in your fingers mm. anymore? Yeah, I've got the... Okay, so the third, soil, third reason. The third reason <laughs> is... If the, the perlite's too thick and you can't... No, I actually, mine is the pumice is too thick. It's a 50-50 pumice core for my succulents, and you really can't do you do the finger test with that. So you have to go by weight. Yeah, and it's tricky. I love waiting, waiting, waiting. What's the fucking word? Weighing. Yeah, weight. Going by weight. There we go. Yeah, when when possible. Yeah, it's in a heavy ceramic pot. Forget that. I can't. That's how I measure all my succulents. Is I just lift the pot. Okay, that's that's light. That needs water. That Mm -hmm. goes in the bin. Mm -hmm. And how do you get good at that? You just pick your plant up a lot, and then you're like, oh yes, it's time to water. And you can also like you know do the finger test to get to know you know when it's actually wet and when it's actually heavy. Thing I like about growing under my lights is I can tell just by the top of the soil when it goes dry. I've got about seven to ten days left before I need to water again. Well, and like, see, I have some plants that the top of the soil looks totally dry. Like, you need to be watered, and then I'll stick my finger in, and it's like, ha-ha, joke's on you. Well, the airflow is so great in my succulent soil that it's like, it dries pretty thoroughly, pretty evenly, so I don't worry too much. Well, like, mine is potting soil with a bunch of perlite, and I add a little cocoa coir to keep some moisture retention to it, so yeah, have it makes you ever, sense that below the surface is still wet. Have you ever thought about adding vermiculite to, for water retention? an old trick that not many people use nowadays most people go towards the core and the peat See, now i have the um what's the white bag of soil that the one that pro mix i have the pro mix the mm-hmm. hp the high porosity yes with extra perlite in it so i don't find that i need to even add anything to it well so vermiculite like, doesn't increase drainage it increases water, water retention vermiculite in, uh, absorbs I, water i thought vermiculite was for drainage reasons Mm-mm. because i thought it was like synonymous with perlite no that's why i use it in my propagating and in my gesneriads because oh. it increases like the moisture level in the soil without retaining without making it like soggy mm. okay so should i try i'll, I'll give it a try Promix with vermiculite instead of my cocoa coir or should i add it in you could try to it those? you could try it with addition in addition to both but it's kind of up to you because it's just i have a i got a big bag of vermiculite for my dahlia tubers so mm. i have mm. some left yeah i mean i also use it as a 
soil dressing, a top dressing on my seedlings. I'll put my seeds down and then I put vermiculite on top of it. So it gives them structure to hold onto and it retains moisture on that top level. So mm-hmm. the seeds get the light they need and they get the moisture to get going. So like, that's why I use vermiculite for that versus like sand that some other people use. Cool. I've done moss where I've just like put some moss on the top. Oh, speaking of moss, which has nothing to do with what I, I brought your silver glory prompts. Oh, fun. I say this because some people like to prop them in moss and I say, don't just go straight to soil, but we could actually try it with vermiculite on top mm. to, to do string of hearts propagation, butterfly propagation. That's an idea. I'm actually kind of surprised that you don't know about the vermiculite thing. Cause I know about vermiculite, but like you, I didn't, I know the wrong thing. <laughs> it's not that it's, I'm just surprised because you do so much like begonias and propagations of that stuff. Because like have not been using vermiculite. Because I use a 50-50 vermiculite perlite mix and it is fantastic for rooting those begonia leaves, mm-hmm. gazenaria leaves. It's just they root so easy and grow so quickly. I think quickly. it was back when I was like, you know, one in, in my like first year plant parenthood and I was like learning about different soil amendments and what's what and like buying perlite and being like, oh, it's the fucking white stuff. Cool. And then, you know, buying vermiculite, I'm like, oh, what is this weird looking stuff that's squishy? But like, I would use vermiculite like it was perlite. And I ultimately decided like, it's no big deal. I'll just stick with perlite. So I ended up not getting any more vermiculite after I used it up because I'm like, oh, it's just another version of this. I'm going to say that as of recently, that's pretty common. That train of thought of them being the same. I noticed about three, four years ago, people started saying, oh yeah, increase your drainage with vermiculite. And it it does to a point, but at the same time, it also retains a lot of water because it's like a sponge. And like, you know, four years ago, there were not like super... (laughs) super good articles on like you know this yeah is what vermiculite is. i mean like, most I, don't, of- I had to look up like where i was looking for just, you know stuff they just like throw out this name and i'm like okay i'm a newbie what the hell is vermiculite like show me a picture then didn't even have pictures mm. so like it makes sense that i would have learned it wrong yeah i mean that like i said that's something i've been seeing a lot lately and i just it's to the point where i can't correct everybody i see it doing it now because it's like it's too many right that's like all the people doing light wrong <laughs> oh, don't even get me started. I was doing light wrong. I've been doing this hobby for nearly 17 years, and I was doing light wrong until fairly recently. Uh, Pam tagged me in a thing today. It was a giveaway. Someone's giving away a, a what mother light? A mother light. Just It's just a regular mother light. It's just with a stand that stands vertical, I think. Yeah, and I was like, okay, let's see if this light's any good. So I went to their website, looked up the specs, and I have since learned that these little, they're like tubes, like a fluorescent bulb, but not. That's about the shape they are. Uh, if they're eight inches from your plant and you leave them on for 16 hours, that's adequate light for an average house plant. Mm. I would argue I did the math on that and tested against my mother light. It's more like four to six inches. Oh, okay. And that's absolutely completely valid too. So like the person doing this giveaway is just a regular plant parent who has, you know, 27,000 Instagram followers who convinced them to give her, them a free light so they could do a giveaway. And they're like, oh, I love these lights. My anthurium are always in flower. And I was like, are they always in flower? Are they just getting such dim light that they're, you know, doing it for survival? They're doing it for survival. Yeah, because I've got mine in my Redsta, and I will say. And I measured that. I didn't realize yes. it was a mother light, but I came over and I measured it. And I was like, yeah. this is kind of a shitty light. Yeah, yeah. And like I told you, like right away, like I. Followed a build for this thing, and that they, what that's what they use, and it was like $150, and yeah, I... I was surprised at the price of these things. I hate that I spent that much on it, because it's like, not worth that, and now I have to replace it, and I don't have another use for it. Right. Mm-hmm. The only nice thing about it is it's the only waterproof light I could find that would survive in a red terrarium environment, mm. but I'm willing to 
buy a cheaper light that's only going to last a year or two that I'll just have to replace. Yeah, that you can get more light out of. Yeah. Um, ugh. At least they had the information on the website for me to determine that. But then least, they also yeah. had like a plant guide for like, oh, click on the plant and we'll tell you how much light it needs. <laughs> Most of it was just copy pasted. And I, my, my final straw was when I looked at a rubber tree and they're like, they had like the low D- DLI and the high DLI and then the recommended. And it was like four DLI at the lowest, 16 or 17 at the highest. And they're like, we recommend five. And I was like, uh. go fuck yourself. That's a rubber plant. He needs like 17 DLI to be happy. Like, and then like the croton was another one that was like incorrect. And I was like, okay, you guys are idiots. I think they do the lowest manageable light that you can get in a house and the plant might survive with is what they put as their recommendation. Because I've noticed a lot of them like, but if you're going to put this, you're going to put it under your grow light and they're, rec- they're recommending 20 centimeters, you know, or wait, it wasn't 20 centimeters. It was 20. I had to convert it into inches because I don't know. But the thing about that stuff is, is like, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, it was 50 centimeters, which is, or no, 20 centimeters. One was 50 centimeters recommended, which is 20 inches away. And I was like, mm, no. And the other one they recommended was 20 centimeters, which is only eight inches away. And I was like, mm, even then that's still quite low. Yeah. Uh, so yeah that annoyed me today i've just been toying with my lights trying to figure out because that's what that conversation was what led me to go test some other light with my new power meter and i was like the top plants the top grow really well one of my rip solids even gets sunburned but as you go further down just less and less and you can see the etiolation and i think a lot of plant parents cannot tell the difference between etiolation and growth (laughs) They yes. just instantly assume etiolation is, oh, it's growing. It's doing a thing. It's- because there's, you know, two inches in between my leaves. Look how tall it got. Exactly. They don't know that it's, that it's reaching for light. That's a sign that it doesn't get enough light. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the closer your nodes, your inner node spacing, the smaller it is, the closer your leaves are together, the better off you are because the plant's getting enough light. doesn't feel the need to reach for light. Plant grows more compact. And I think in order to, like, get it right, you need to know the form. You need to do some research because to know the form of, your plan is it a vining plan is a is it a trunk one does it is it self-heading mm-hmm. that kind of stuff because some internodal length on vines it looks fine if it's like three or four inches and then if it's not getting enough light it just it will double so you got to like figure out what it's supposed to be before another thing on that subject when we're talking about vining plants i love it when people just have runners everywhere i'm like okay your plant's not getting enough light because it's not even growing leaves it's growing runners and mm-hmm. then it just like aborted this leaf and it's like your plant's not it's it's growing but like that's not a happy plant the thing about runners too is like some of the people who are like in, like i'm one of those people who sees a runner instantly i'm like it needs to climb mm-hmm. i've had to explain to people they need to attach and that doesn't mean taping it or wrapping it it means the root needs to be growing onto or into whatever it is growing on or it is not going to be secure it may be secure from your point of view but from the plant it's just barely hanging there if it's just like a twist tie see I'm going to challenge that theory. I'm not going to rebuttal for that already. uh, No, 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 no. I completely believe you. I'm just not doing moss poles or cocoa poles or any of that stuff because I'm not bothering to keep it wet. So what I do is I just have my plant stakes and then I put them in my little, what are these called? Twisty ties. (laughs) I'm sitting here making the twist motion with my hand, not able to think of what the heck the word is. Uh, But I do it like, you know, every node and like, I do see stuff getting bigger each time, but I am curious what my limit is and how much better I could do if I put it on a pole that the roots could grow into. Thing about that is some plants will be fine with minimal attachment like that. Like 
monster albos are okay like that. Oh, but see, if that's you're, what I'm thinking of. If you're, but like if you go with like a Raftophora, Hey Yai, or anything like that, those need to actually attach because I've noticed that people, I've seen people grow them up poles mm-hmm. and they just a runner, a con- constant mm-hmm. runner because they're not, they're just putting the Velcro over them and they're not rooting it into it. And then you see the people who actually root it into it. And that's how you're getting the good growth. But like I said, you got to know the details. Yeah. So like, that's why it's always, so if you're doing the twist tie thing and you're not getting the growth you want, try getting them to actually attach. Right. And I would argue you don't need to keep moss poles wet. Yeah. Just let them grow into whatever thing you have there. Yeah. And maybe my elbow is a outlier, an outlier, but like, I don't bother moistening that at all. And it is attached to the thing. I've sent you pictures of it, like. I think that varies plant to plant because I've got a pothos downstairs on a moss pole that is not attaching when it's right. dry, but when it's wet, it attaches no problem. Right. Mm. So I think that's, yeah. again, a plant, plant preference. Yeah, yeah. My elbow, it's interesting because I have my little green plant stake in the plant. All the roots are coming out of the stem on the stake side. And it's funny because the roots are like, let's say this is my pole. My roots are growing like this, mm-hmm. one on either side, just like almost it's like they're about to, to hug hold on it. to. Yeah. So it's it's weird because like there's not it's you know probably three eighths of an inch in diameter. Mm-hmm. So like it's not a big pole or anything, and the roots are just like I know this is what I want. And you know if I'm curious what what they'll do or otherwise maybe they're just like pinching it. Not that roots know how to pinch, but that's weird that they're doing it. So. Yeah. I kind of have a theory on why some plants need to attach and others don't necessarily need it. I think it's because like monsteras, they can stack. They can, they've got that thick, thirty, sturdy stem that they can kind of just grow off of like a trunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that alone can give it a lot of support. Whereas like with the hay eye and all that stuff, it's so thin, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of is my train of thought with that. Mm, yeah. Because we were talking about the decursiva raffidophora. Yeah. Um, before too. And like, I ended up giving up on that one cause I just couldn't get it to size up or be happy. And it was like growing outside of my greenhouse and it yeah. was like, I'm kind of happy. And I was like, quick, sell it, <laughs> make it somebody else's problem. But that was, you know, closest to my success. I love those mature leaves, but I don't, I don't have it in me to make it happen. Mine that I wanted was the dubia, Monstera dubia. I really mm. wanted to get mature leaves on that, but I've long since given up on getting anything to go up a pole and size up. Right. I think I've got like one left that I'm still working on, but it needs work. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew my uh, gigantium up stakes, not, not, not moss poles, not cocoa poles. And I got that thing to size up pretty good. It's because it's a scrambler, not a climber. Well, it'll climb, it'll climb, but like they will scramble up stuff. Like they do attach, like they are climbers, mm-hmm. but like, um, I think that'd be the, like Monsteras, the Albos and Deliciosas, they're also scramblers where they kind of like, they'll grow up, they'll fall over and they'll keep growing up and falling mm-hmm. over until they find something to, to grow up on. Yeah. So I think they use their aerial roots to like support themselves. Yeah. They don't necessarily have to attach. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting thought. I'm sad because I had to cut that gigantium back a couple times and now I have small leaves and I really want my big leaves back. You'll get there. But it's also nice being able to like use the patio door. (laughs) 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 If you can picture a regular patio door, my plant lived in the middle and it went up. I had a couple leaves above the top of the patio door and the left and right leaves were pretty much to the left and right of the patio door. It was one of those double patio doors, the sliders. Yeah, on my patio door, the way the curtains are, what's open is what I'm allowed to use. 
Oh. You're not allowed to open the patio door curtains? Nope. Even uh, in winter? Not even in winter because what happens is if I open them up, there's more space. If there's more space, I put more plants there. So? <laughs> not allowed. But that's a um, south window. I traded my south deck door for... A plant room? No, oh. for... That up there, the, oh, the girl light. Oh. up in the second level, yeah. I've got a little living area that I was allowed to put my Rudsta and a little display of Thai constellations. It's very cute. Yeah. Yeah. I traded for that area because mm. I figured I could put lights there and it'd be nice. Yeah. I'm working on it. That's how me and my husband do it is we, we bargain. Trade off. Yeah. yeah. He said at one point I had every window with plants and he's like, all right, I get half of them. And then he just made them empty. So <laughs> oh. every now and then we bar, I'll bargain for a new window. And that's how I, that's how we manage. <laughs> it is nice to only use the patio door. So yeah, I do advocate for that. I thought about it, but at the same time, my tropical collection is so small now. I don't really. Why aside, do you have everything on your racks? Yeah. With your grow lights. Like that's so compact and easy and you can stack so many there. Yeah. And then I've got the agreement of like my, one of my ficus trees and my, one of my pacopodium trees are over here by the deck door, but that's about it. A couple other small plants, but they don't fit anywhere else. Right. Yeah. But in the summer, they go on the other side of that door and just get kicked outside immediately. So. Mm-hmm. Grow my babies. Mm-hmm. It's just, you got to manage all that in the winter. Right. Speaking of winter. Yeah. What happens, <laughs> what happens in our plants uh, growing inside in the winter? What else? Which reminds me, polar vortex incoming. Every time I hear polar vortex, I just think, pull your plants away back. from your window. Pull back. Please. Because if they're pressed up against the window and you have, like, old windows, the, you'll lose that leaf that's pressed against the window easy. And depending on the plant, too, I had to pull one of my allocations away completely. Because even now, and I've got new windows, double-paned, um, it was getting cold damage being on the window. Yeah, I'm lucky I've got triple-pane Aragon windows, I think, is what they are. So I don't have to worry about that, but I know our deck door is not like that. And I have to pull stuff away from it, but uh, I've had to deal with windows in the past that near the window closed with the cellophane wrap on it is yeah. 50 degrees at during the day. And then at yeah. night it goes even further down and it's like anything near that window is just going to freeze. Yeah. So you want to be careful. I'm definitely going to have to pull my green velvet back because it's against the windows right now. It's not going to like being pulled back. And also check for drafts too, if you have the old windows. Yes. Because, you know, just put your hand there and feel for little cold breezes, moving air. And both ways, if you have plants close to your heaters, Mm. especially if you're like in the Twin Cities proper and you're in an old house that has radiator heat. Yeah, if you put your plants on top of the radiator, make sure there's some space there. Yeah. Those are going to get hot. Also, if you have radiators, look into radiator humidifiers because like Mm. radiators just suck every last bit of moisture out of the air and that alone can cause problems for your plants. I was going to say, that's a great segue. Humidity during the wintertime. Yes. Bless those people who have humidifiers in their heating that's me furnace things or if your plant room is so warm by the lights that it just maintains a perfect tropical environment yeah not me everybody i suffer like the rest of you i haven't needed to turn my humidifier on yet it's been staying like 45 in the house and that's enough Mm -hmm. but last year i had it turned off and it got close to like 13 Mm percent and my plant started to be like why i had a kicker on I have a couple of plants who actually need humidity and they either live in my grow tent or in my right. little cabinet. Um, all my other stuff doesn't give a f- The only things that I have that really like humidity are my cannabis plants. And those ones I just vent into the room and that excess humidity is kind of what I'm using to keep my room sure. perfect. Nice. Um, yeah, if you grow like, you know, regular common stuff like, you know, ficus, philodendrons. Um, 
monsteras, monsteras, pothos, uh, cacti succulents. Those guys aren't going to need any humidity. Yeah, they can easily be adjusted down. Plants that benefit from added humidity, pretty much all of those, except for like, you know, succulents and hoarthia. So I'm not stopping you if you want to run a humidifier in your house or in your room or wherever. I just, I, I did it for a whole winter. I ran what two humidifiers? Kept the kept the door to my bedroom closed. The plants, it was so nice in there. It was tropical and warm, and the plants were happy. And then I was like, okay, I hated, I hated doing that. I yeah. hated filling up the humidifier every day, mm-hmm. spilling water, having to wipe it up. Like it was two humidifiers in the room. Hated it. And if you have soft water, it's all the particle buildup everywhere. And, and then like one of my humidifiers has a filter, so I was like, oh, that's a ten dollar filter every week. And I'm like, right. I hate this. I hate this. So. I did it for one winter. I saw how nice everything grew. And then I was like, we're done. And I've never done it again. <laughs> yeah, I will deal. say having the humidifiers is nice because everything grows faster and is nicer. And it kind of lets you ease up on water just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the amount of growth you're getting from, with that humidifier, if you've got really good light, you're going to be watering probably just as frequently as the rest of us. Right. So like, don't think that's a way to skimp out on watering is to up the humidity. And how much humidity is too much humidity? Anything above, I think, 60 for me is where I start venting out the window because I don't want to deal with mold or anything like that. And yeah. that's where mold starts is around 60. You're, talk, you're talking household humidity or? Well, I was going to bring that into, like, if you have a cabinet, what would be our humidity in our weather-sealed cabinet? So, like, out in the open? Yeah, I, out in the open in a regular room. In your house. Unprotected. 60. 60. Yes. No higher. No higher. Because yes. then you're just dealing with house problems at that point. Yeah. yeah. And then if you have like a cabinet or something. Cabinets, you, I don't know, Christine, you're the more expert on that. Yeah, and I think duration becomes a huge thing. Like if you get to 100% humidity, that's okay. And your plants will benefit from it. But if it's staying 100% 24-7, that's, too that's much, not Bob. good. That's too much, Bob. That's too much, Bob. The plants are going to be wet. The, like You'll start to see like the leaves are just wet all the time. Okay, well, another thing, you need airflow. You need airflow. So that's where you're going to get mold and bacterial growth. I say 100% humidity is fine if you're propping, Mm -hmm. getting stuff to root. But it's not something you want to live with. I would say if if your plants need high humidity, like 70 to 80 80 is adequate unless you have something that is an absolute diva, in which case you would probably know that it's a very high humidity plant. Right. Um, But if it's just a regular house plant or, you know, like an anthurium, like I don't think they're that special. Yeah, I, I think don't, for, I don't think it's make or break for those guys. Right. I think for like non-terrarium plants, 85, like 70 to 85 is my range that I would like to keep it in. And then I've acclimated like anthuriums down to like 50, 60 easy. It yeah. just takes time. They do slow down, but they, the growth they put out is just as vigorous and just as sizable as the, it would as if it was in high humidity, just right. slower. Yeah. And that's fine by me because that's less work usually. <laughs> I... I think 70 to 85 is my ideal range for my cabinets. That's what I really like to see them at. But if it dips down to 40, I don't freak out. That usually just tells me it's time to water. Yeah. Because everything's a little dry. Um, I get a little more concerned if the temp starts going down. Mm-hmm. If I like look at my little, what do we call them? Hydrometer. Hydrometers. And I saw that it like got to 60 overnight. I'd be like, nope, that's too cold for you. I need to figure out how to warm you up again. And I should say not to 60. My, my house is kept at 69. So if it got to 69 overnight. I have plants in the basement. As long as it's above 60, we're good. (laughs) 
it's cold down there. I don't have to worry about my basement plants. Their light's so powerful. They just it's like the sun down there. Yeah, see, that would be nice. Back when I had those real big dick panels, it was like I have four of those, and they don't keep it warm. Oh, they kept my cabinets very warm. But I have a it's a four by eight tent, and I have four True. of those panels in there, so it takes up some room. Takes up some room, spreads yeah. it out. It does not warm up my cabinet. Greater volume has a lower thermal capacity or has a higher thermal capacity, yes, but it takes said. more to get there. I wonder yeah. how, with those grow tents, their mm, word, insulation. There is none. Okay. So basically everything's just going straight out. Yeah. There's not like any kind of retention of heat. There is a, a reflective surface on the inside, but that sure. doesn't do anything to keep the heat in. I disagree. It's mylar. It and though I mm. think that's the same thing as those little heat blankets that they use in the winter for emergencies, those foil looking ones. I, I, that's I, my, maybe it's because I, I don't have a heat source yeah. inside my tent that's greater than those lights because I, it my grow tent was on the cement floor in the basement and it was too cold. So I put um carpet remnant underneath it. Mm-hmm. Helped. Didn't get it, you know, much closer to where I wanted it, but yeah, I've seen that's people. Where that's where I sit now. I've seen people put the thick pink foam underneath them uh, in the oh, basements sure. because, again, a lot of my stuff I do like on the basement floor. Like I've, I've got a deep water culture going, and it just sucks up that cold and just dissipates the heat. And it's sure. basically like a cooling block. I have some of the pink insulation foam, and I can't remember why. I guess the thought was to put that down, put a plywood over it, but I can't remember why I didn't end up going that. Mm. can't remember because that's something i've thought about doing because i i'm thinking that my some of my stuff is a little cold that's on the concrete floor yeah that's why i try not to do that if you notice like even on my shelving units i have them like an inch off the floor so there's that air gap because mm-hmm. uh, like i could theoretically put them not even put a bottom shelf on there if i didn't want to and have an extra shelf mm. but i don't do that because i don't want the concrete floor sucking the heat out of it right i figured that's just inviting rot now this is my second Winter with a grow tent in the basement, and I'm just seeing nothing but growth. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to water my plants all the time. I was going to say, you're not struggling with it this year like you were last year. Like I I think you have everything figured out now. I was going to say, yeah, you've got your routine down now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, back to the insulating thing. Like, I've noticed all my grow tents when I run them at full capacity are usually decently like 10 to 15 degrees warmer than the outside room with your hot lights yep with my even on low like 200 watts my hottest one still is about 10 degrees hotter than the outside yeah my grow tents i mean so the house is kept at 69 (laughs) uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and my grow tents are usually live between like 76 and 85 damn so like humidity and temp are pretty much about the same do you track uh, VPD at all? Neither do I, but I've always wondered, like, optimal VPD for other plants, what it would do for growth. Sure. Oh, I've done that with my houseplants, and actually, that's, you should have asked me if I track VPD. Kaylin, do you track VPD? Well, I'm Maggie, what a great question. Um, hey, I actually had What's a, VPD for those vapor, who don't it's know? It's the vapor preferred, oh, fucking A. Vapor, <laughs> pre, vapor pressure deficit. So essentially what it is, is it is... Like it works in tandem with temperature and humidity. When yeah. people say up your humidity, this is what they're actually talking about. So not it's like a little, real humidity. There's like a little chart you can follow and it has like, you know, humidity here and temperature here. And there's like a, a line, not a line, but you can't up your humidity without also upping your temperature. Yeah. If you have yeah. higher humidity, you have to have a higher temperature. And then, then it like tracks like an ideal range. Mm-hmm. And actually what I figured out based on how much humidity and the temperature of my cabinet is, it actually sits in like a perfect range. Right. 
So my cabinet might be just a little bit warmer than my house and the humidity it adds puts it in like the perfect range for like ideal VPD. So I have not worried about that since I figured that out and my settings, like the cabinet doesn't really change besides when it needs to be watered, it gets a little low humidity. Right. That was where I wanted to get the tent a little bit lower or the, I wanted the tent to be a little warmer in the basement, but like nothing I could help worked and I was not about to put a space heater down there. So like I kind of just gave up on that. You so, want to be careful there because that would dry stuff out fast. Yeah. So I, I've looked into it. I know, you know, my parameters, but I just, um, what I should do is I should get Jen to get Dave over to my house to put in a little duct from the furnace into my grow tent because that's what he did for hers. And it would be perfect because mm. it's like five feet away tops from the furnace. Right. So I just that need somebody who can do some duct work, yeah. <laughs> route something in my grow tent and then we'd be golden. Yeah. So if anyone wants some free plants in exchange for some uh, ductwork, let me know. Come over <laughs> to my house. I think for the most part, when it comes to like VPD and all that stuff, especially in the wintertime, I don't really mind if my plants slow down. I kind of enjoy the little break of constantly propping stuff or like a potting. God forbid I have to up pot in the winter. I don't want to do it. Um, yeah. If stuff slowed down a little bit, that, I'm fine with that. So for the most part, it's more main, maintenance in the winter for me. That's kind of what I'm trying to get to is where all my plants are maintenance. So I've got time to spend on my seed stuff. Right. So that way my seed stuff's ready next year for me not having to fuss with it all the time. I can't believe we're only a month away to start thinking about spring starting stuff. seeds. Yeah. It's weird. Starting yeah. crops. Starting for your outside garden. Oh, man. Uh, I did I've a been, naughty thing. I've been doing seeds since September. Uh, <laughs> Just yeah. all indoor yeah. stuff. Yeah. I turned the lights um, I I'm, I have the lights on for less time in my grow tent because I was like, we'll get everything to stop growing so much and we'll slow everything down. And then I was like, why are my new leaves coming out smaller? So I've <laughs> propped them up and made them taller so they're closer to the light, <laughs> which just negates all of that. Damn it. I don't change the light times at all. I, I do. For growth. I leave them. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out, like optimal for my succulents, but I'll get there. Yeah. I could easily just sit down and do all the math, but me and math aren't friends, so I, like I don't math. like to do that. <laughs> all right, I'll take you up on that because I need a lot of math done. I just have a cheater chart. Use yeah. a cheater chart. Yeah, if I had a formula or like a nice nifty little calculator that told me everything, but the thing is, is like I need to do research on what I have under the lights. Right. I suppose if you know what you have there, but here's my little cheater chart. It has it in both foot candles. Oh, that's nice. And uh, PPFD. So you can use your meter readings and then look at your daily light integral based on, you know, how long you're leaving the light on for and find your ideal number. See, I don't have to do that because I can just put my par meter on there uh, and it just, I just put, and then I just hit how many hours I have in there and it just tells me. But the thing is, is like, I don't know what DLIs I need to hit for half my stuff. Mm. And a lot of, a lot of that research hasn't been done on my stuff because my That's stuff's true. not so common. I if you could yeah. just for science. You know, like you, you have all your trays, right? Put them, mm -hmm. put all your trays under the light, set it on for a specific amount of time, start cranking that light up every week until you start seeing sun stress and then maybe have like a secondary location where the ones that are sun stressing really bad at this, you know, light intensity, move them to a secondary shelf with like a slightly less strong light and see how they're, because then you just like process of elimination, you keep cranking the light up so it's on longer and longer and longer and then see which succulents tolerate the best and then you know those ones need more light and or longer light and see, then you can like narrow everybody down from that i've kind of done the preliminary work on that um the only thing i worry about is like i stress about etiolation in some of my stuff because like when a horthia etiolates that's the end for about 
a year and right. a half to two years before it's back in form. Mm. And I hate ugly Haworthia. <laughs> so, I mean, your stuff is already acclimated to higher light. Yeah. So you could just pop everybody up, do notches, and watch them sunstress. What I've done is I started at 16 hours, bumped it down to 14. I think I'm down to 10, and mm. I'm noticing a lot of stuff. Stress colors are fading, and that's kind of what I've been using as my aloes. Okay, yeah. And as they're fading, I'm like, okay, maybe I hold the light here. They're not growing, but they're not senescing either. So right. I'm like, good. Hopefully. Science. But the downside of that is, is I cycle my stuff because I need flowers. Mm -hmm. I think I just figured out my low for the year. And now I got to start ramping it back up for spring and summer to get those flowers, which actually I might not have to do this year because stuff's not going outside. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. Root mealies. Yep. Uh, also, if you treat yourself with systemics, don't put it outside, especially if it flowers. It hurts the native pollinators. Yeah, and systemic granules specifically, because that stuff sticks yeah. for a while. It what is lasts it, six weeks? Eight weeks to eight 242 weeks. days, oh. depending on the plant, how fast it's growing and that's, what it's doing. That's so why I stopped using it completely. That's yeah. why I say if you treat with systemics, it's a year yeah. minimum, because that's the only way to make sure that it's out of the system of the plant. Dang. That's why, like, all my aloes and stuff, all my Haworthia, I'm losing a breeding season this year. Yeah. Because I don't think my seedlings will be ready for blooming. Hmm. But you got to get rid of those root mealies. Got to. I'd rather do a hard reset and miss a year than right. have to replace everything and mm -hmm. miss three or four years. Yeah. Well, now that we're kind of back on the topic of repotting. <laughs> in the winter? About, yeah, let's talk about repotting in the winter. Don't do it unless you absolutely have to or you have good light. Yeah. If you're someone like me and you keep your potting soil out in the garage, make sure you bring it in and let it warm up a little bit. Um, if your garage isn't heated like mine, because it's definitely cold when it comes in. If it's not frozen solid, you can add hot water to it. Oh, sure. That helps a lot. And that also makes it in increases the absorbency temporarily to like really kickstart it to absorb the water, I've noticed. Yeah. I usually just like bring the bucket in and let it sit for a couple hours and then do my thing. What I used to do too. Yeah. I don't keep my soil in the garage. I keep it in the basement now just because yeah. I've got so much of it. I don't mm -hmm. have a basement. I'm so sorry. But you have <laughs> you, you have a humidifier in your furnace. Yep. Shut up. <laughs> you can only have one. <laughs> Pick one. Um, okay, so mm, I guess I've been actually trying to avoid repotting some stuff because it was like, you know, the shortest day of the year. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Right. And I'm trying to hold off, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to hold off until March. Because I'm going to be gone all of February and other people are going to be watering my plants. And some of them, I'm like, we should probably repot this beforehand so it doesn't, like, dry itself out in a week or whatever. Right. So, like, I do notice that the, like, the peat and stuff breaks down in my soil when we reach the, like, uh, 10, 11 month mark of having that plant in the pot. And I say 10, 11 month mark. It really could be more than that. Because um, if I didn't repot the plant right in March, it wouldn't have been 12 months, you know, whatever. Um, but I see, yeah, like the, the soil breaks down. It doesn't hold moisture. It, it's actually hard to tell when it is moist. And I have gotten root rot a couple of times before, mm. um, because I just can't judge my soil because it's just gone to shit. Um, I noticed that Fox farms breaks down. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. before a year is out. So I actually, I used it for a year. Stop using it. Don't use it anymore. Um, I really liked when I used the Spomo organics, really liked the quality of that stuff. Uh, only reason I switched is because you can't ever buy it locally in the giant bags and i wasn't about to spend twice as much on the smaller bags huh. yeah so i can find it in big bags in the spring but once the stores sell out they don't have it anymore and i'm like why not that's why yeah. i make my own 
don't yeah, have to worry about right. running out. <laughs> I do the same thing. And that and switching to mineral. Perlite. Yeah, I'm also going to be trying the Bonsai Jacks with some succulents because you've had such Ooh. great luck with it with your Hawarthias. I'm tempted to give it a go. It's such a fun mix. I love it so much. Just a bunch of tiny, tiny rocks and it's mm. not mm-hmm. on. No. But it does retain a lot of water, surprisingly, for just being rocks. All that bark. It's, it's rocks and bark. Yeah. Uh, tiny bark shards. That mm. is already, like, pH balanced, so I don't need to, like, fuss with pH. And they send you a free chopstick. I love the free chopstick. <laughs> they're, the, they're metal. It's my favorite. It's they're a, metal. I know. I know. It's a metal chopstick. It's is my it meant favorite. to aerate it? And you it's so you can scrape. Whatever. Yeah, you can aerate and you can scrape off roots. That's, uh, like, gotcha. a multi-use tool. everything. <laughs> I'm currently using it to mix in systemic in the top layer of my Ooh, soil. Yeah. You know, and I have a bunch of wood chopsticks, and it's that not a one I reach for every time. Mm-hmm. I've got, like, three of them, I think. Uh, all around the place. I have one, and then Jen gave me a titanium chopstick. Oh, God. Ooh. It's square, so it freaks me out a little. I don't know why. <laughs> For no reason. I prefer square chopsticks over the round ones. Wood overall. They stick better together? Yeah, because you've got the edge to kind of grip yeah, yeah. stuff with. Okay. Is also- there any... Okay, just thinking about repotting in the winter and stuff. Is there any... There's really no reason not to but i just bought this plant and i brought it home and it needs a repot well that's it just needs in, a bigger pot that in general is a bad practice don't bring a plant home and immediately repot it i let um, it acclimate quarantine it yeah i guess let it only tell you it needs to be repotted not the other way around yeah if you repot in the winter really the only big thing is obviously you're doing it inside versus outside so you're just going to potentially make a mess yeah. Are we need to, do we need to be concerned if we're doing it inside, like wearing a respirator or a mask or something, there keeping the particles out be, of our face? There should be some precautions taking, especially if <laughs> what you're using has perlite in it. I'm going to get on my soapbox here. Wear a mask when doing your perlite and wet it down to get rid of the dust because that stuff causes mesothelioma and it sucks to lose people to that. Yeah. I, I wet my perlite like I soak the bags before I even open it. That's uh, what I do. I just open it and I spray water in there until it's... Good and waterlogged. <laughs> and I'm the one breathing in all the dust. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that and if you've ever had to cough up a ball of peat dust, it's not Ew. pleasant. I got a chunk of perlite in my eye once that <laughs> wouldn't come out. Oh, Gross. God. I've gotten glitter in my eye from <laughs> the greenhouse. <laughs> but no, at the greenhouse, we had a soil machine that would waterfall <laughs> it. And there was just constant dust. And we had to, mm. we were supposed to wear a mask around it. And like, I tried to, but like. The mass clogs up really fast and you like pull it down to get a breath and you just inhale all that and you're just like, yeah. oh, so you just stay away, as far away from that machine as you can throughout the day. I do have an N95 I keep down in the basement for when I do have to open up the bag of perlite because it is so dusty, but. I mean, I usually just use like a cloth face mask. I don't go all the way I had an extra down. one laying around in my craft room, so. Hey, use We're it good. if you got it. It's mm-hmm. just don't breathe in that dust. I know so many people are like, oh, it's no, no problem. It's just a little dust. No, it is glass. It is yeah. volcanic glass that is ripping everything up down all the way down. Yeah, yeah rip it up. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pervert. Sorry. But at least we have it on recording now. Sorry, that's I just mean, like my one pet peeve is people no, I, dealing with certain amendments in ways they shouldn't. It's like not having, not knowing or not reading the MSDS of your pesticides. If you don't know the material safety data sheet stuff and what you're supposed to be using to apply it, there's a reason those things are there and that's, there's a reason it's required to apply it. And a reminder, pesticides are not regulated by the, what is it, FDA? Nope. And so they can put whatever the fuck in there they want and they don't have to tell you. So that Bonsai Jacks or not Bonsai Jacks, the Captain Jack's dead, dead boot. Yeah, that one. 
that's like, what is it, 96% other ingredients? Yep. It may not be the spinosad <laughs> killing the thrips, but probably something else they're adding that's just inert. Toxic. Yeah, that, that, okay, that's something I need to get better at is wearing protection when I apply. And Pesticides. I like, I'm, I mean, I, I, I say that like I'm doing it all the time. I used to do it when I got my spider mites and now I'm just like, okay, it's, it's too much work. I'm going to do beneficial bugs, but there are a couple plants this fall. I didn't spray down. I mean, even in the professional world, there's a lag of safety. I've done, I've worked in places where it's, I've applied pesticides and I'm like, where's the PPE? And they're like, right. we don't have PPE. And then well, I have like, to, to that, argue and fight to get it. That situation too. They're all like hanging out in a room that's not getting ventilation. Right. Exactly. And so other people are being exposed to it too, and they have no idea. Exactly. If you read the MSDS, a lot of these pesticides that are, especially the spray ones, are apply and leave alone for 6 to 12 hours, if not 24, because it lingers. Yeah. Is that the reentry period? Yeah, on most of the stuff, yeah. A lot of the stuff we use here at home doesn't have that, but if you're treating like a large swath of your collection, I recommend just spray it, put it somewhere where you're not going to be around it because that stuff is toxic to everything. Mm -hmm. Even if it says it's not, there's got, there's other stuff in it. I that Because the way they say inert ingredients, if you read the definition, that stuff could still be toxic. Yeah. Fun times. Everyone's trying to poison us in order to sell us more things. That and the definition of toxic is sometimes like <laughs> it doesn't kill you, but it causes other problems. Right. It'll cause you to go blind and lose your limbs, <sighs> but it's not toxic. <laughs> <laughs> Won't kill you. Uh, can we all just go live in a cabin in the woods and have a greenhouse in a clearing? Can How we just we live in a greenhouse? <laughs> Maybe we don't live in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Not the woods in Minnesota. We live in the Everglades. Uh, Actually, there is a type of greenhouse that does well up here. They're called Deep, Deep Winter. Winter. Adam's uh, got one. Yeah. Adam, the desert pod. He's yeah. got a desert pod. It's I'm so, so cool. jealous of that thing. And like, I've seen his and I love it. Yeah, it's super fun. I still would have to heat it a little bit because I have tropicals. Yeah, but like 40 degrees is your minimum. You're not having to heat it that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, see, I wouldn't even need to heat it. Right. I see so many people in the gardening groups. They're like, hey, I'd like a greenhouse and I'd like to use it year round. And everyone is just like, ha, 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 ha. no, because we've all looked into it. And it's just not possible in our right. climate. Yeah. But yeah, if we were to, if I was to make a shit ton of money every year and I'd be like, okay, let's build this deep breeder greenhouse. And I'm going to put all my money into heating it. Fuck yeah. I mean, I know at the greenhouse I worked at, we had contracts with wood haulers that we would chip up their wood. And that's what we used to heat our greenhouses mm. at that place. Just burn the wood chips. Yep. Otherwise it would be like tens of millions of dollars a year. Right. In an ideal world, I'd have an attached greenhouse like conservatory to my house and it would be the Victorian style and I'd have a couch out there and I'd probably have a water <laughs> feature and all my alocasia would be super happy and I could grow my ficus to the ceiling. Ugh. Ideal Unfortunately, world. I would want a house around an open courtyard that's covered mm. so I can grow Ooh. a tree. That's what I want. Yeah. And then you could have like that circle of windows. Mm. Yes. No, the house would be surrounding it. So it would just get top light. Oh, so there wouldn't be like actual. You'd be able to walk from one side of your house to the other through the courtyard. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be like outdoors, <gasps> but inside. <laughs> I've seen people do it and like it's Think beautiful. A little dragon just like going and checking out the plants and laying in the <laughs> branch of your tree in the middle. Basking in that sunlight. Uh, yes. Let's all just live in a co-op. It'll, it'll, it'll be our co-op and we will put all our money together so we can have let's plants. Just start, let's just start our commune. That's what I meant. Co-op commune, whatever. <laughs> See them called both. 
Anything else as far as growing in winter? Hmm. Watch your light. Watch your water. Adjust as necessary. Just make sure that balance is there. Yep. I know I talk about light all the time, but if you're using grow lights, make sure they're the good ones. Go back and listen to our light episode. Uh, Feel free to, you know, email us or ask in the Discord questions. I'm happy to help. Um, But, like, just because you have a grow light doesn't mean it's good. Right. I know that you have a quality grow light. Figure out your light meter or par meter reading. Figure out your daily light integral, how long you're leaving it on for. Remember, light is a volume thing. How much light hits the plant in how much time. So it's a two-part equation. Like, don't just assume because you bought a grow light, it's going to be enough for your plants. It probably won't be. Yeah. I mean. Got to know how to use it. Something's better than nothing, question mark. Mm. I, for, for me, like in the wintertime, I'm using the cheap ones as supplemental. But they're also in front of windows, right? Correct. So it's supplemental. Yeah. It's not yeah. the yeah. only light they're getting. You, I mean, you should still have an idea if you're doing supplemental light, how much light you're providing. Because, you oh, know, sure. like, let's say you have one of those little gooseneck purple lights that they have on Amazon for 30 bucks. Those need to be within three inches of your foliage yep. to do any good. So like, if you are. have it hanging out a foot away from your right. plant, it's not doing any good. Like, spread out like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see that all the time. That's that's not helping your plants at all. They need to be closer. It would help if you knew how much light that was giving off because then you'd be able to determine it for yourself. Right. So. Cool. Do that. Other than that, I mean, we're halfway through, friends. We've officially turned our way back towards the sun. So the warmth is coming. Yes. In a couple of weeks, you'll start to notice growth pick up ever so slightly, oh and then it'll just get faster and faster. Gardening time ready before we're ready. <laughs> uh, I don't know. They're saying that because um, we're in an El Nino right now, it, they're saying it might turn to El Nino back in like or in like late May June. So I think we're gonna have another cold summer, like a couple of years ago, where we won't be able to put our stuff out until late June, July. I'm okay with that this year for once. Yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, we can talk about it come springtime. I'm actually considering not putting stuff outside this year. I was thinking about putting less outside this year. Mm-hmm. Anything that in my collection that's been treated for root mealies is not going out this year, but I do have some seedlings and stuff that I'll put out there for that nice summer growth. Yeah. yeah. But we can talk about that in May. Yep. Let's talk about it now. I'm so excited. I'm just kidding. Plants of the week? Ooh, good question. What plants of mine? I got one. Go for it. My Euphorbia aeruginosa. It's this weird little blue and green thing that's just beautiful. It looks like a little <laughs> spiky tree. It's like a, oh. it's a bush euphorbia. So it's okay. spiny and dangerous looking. Is that the one nice. with the red spines? No, this one has black spines. Ooh. Middle. <laughs> I have no idea what I want mine to be. Um, oh. Has my Aglaonema pink Dalmatian been planted of the week recently? That sounds familiar, but I don't I know. Who cares? Like I did. I like this being my favorite. plants. Yeah. It's been a while since I've heard that one, though, because that pink was... Dalmatian? Mid season one, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm really happy because my pink Dalmatian Aglaonema was a housewarming gift for my boss. Thanks, Caitlin. And like Aglaonemas, they're they're weird where they don't want a lot of light. Like it didn't really like a south facing window. It lives in an east window, and he is just growing. And he is this cute little bush, and he's got his pink spots on his green leaves, and he's just so freaking adorable and so easygoing. And I love him. So nice. plant of the week. I'm going to have mine be my Alocasia cupria because I finally have figured out its light needs. Oh, and what is that? A far corner of a west window, so it's barely getting any light. (laughs) Fucking weirdo. So all its leaves are no longer pointing. Nope, they're pointing upward. Is that any humidity? Mm -mm. It's in just regular household right now. How many leaves do you got? Like eight. Um, But only two of them are like facing up right now. But those are the two new recent ones, so they like it. What it's a light. weirdo. Yeah. I love those guys. How big are the leaves? 
Not very big. I'm hoping it'll start sizing up soon. I too want to size up my allocation. That, that's the thing. I finally figured out the light it likes, so now I got to figure out how to make it grow yeah. faster and bigger. Yeah, I have a surprising number of leaves on mine because mine split into a couple different plants. Sure. So I have like 15 leaves on it probably, but it's in a weird low light corner of my grow tent. Yep. Doing its thing. Yeah. Drying out real quick. Do you think that'd be a candidate for my Rudsta? Ooh. Because yeah. it's low light. I mean, I still think you need to get a brighter light Definitely. in there. Um, but yeah, that would probably be great for the floor of your Rudsta. Mm. Yeah, because that's what I'm struggling with finding stuff for right now. So for all of you listening, the Rudsta, you pa- it's, it, is it a planted terrarium? What it's do we a planted call it? terrarium. Okay, so it's all set up with a misting system and everything. It's just we have to figure out the perfect light that will give enough power to get plants on the bottom growing in addition to plants at the top and like without burning them. Yeah, that's where we're stuck. So yeah. that's why I'm thinking the Ripsalis cacti up top because they can handle it. Yeah. yeah. And then just layer everybody as appropriate for their light needs. Mm-hmm. Cool. Groovy guys. Sweet. Yep. Well, thanks again, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rough Around the Hedges. Join our Discord. <laughs> yeah. Leave us a review if you want to. Cool. All right. Well, stay warm, everybody. <laughs> Stay rough, stay stay warm. warm. I mean, it's winter, I'm cold. Stay warm. Bye-bye. Bye. And rough. And or rough.